Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me today is not Fred Moreland. Fred is out doing things for his shoot job, and instead, we have Voices of Wrestling's ROH expert, Sean Cedor. Sean, how are you today? Tyler, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, a lot going on in life, both uh, in terms of like shoot work stuff and, uh, and uh, my fandoms outside of that last weekend was a pretty big weekend penn state losing a close one to ohio state and the eagles my eagles winning a big game on sunday night and then the nascar season's almost over it's, it's a lot going on because uh, the year is almost coming to an end here how does the nascar season look right now sean who are who are the uh the the big names that you think have a realistic chance to win the uh, the nascar title so uh, this coming weekend, they're in Martinsville, and that's the final race that essentially decides who gets into the, the who will be fighting for the championship at Phoenix. Uh, right now, uh, Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell have locked themselves in. They won the last two races, so they're in. Last weekend, they were racing in uh, Homestead, Miami, and it was actually probably the most chaotic race in terms of how the standings were playing out because there were a couple drivers who were on opposite sides and for those who don't know the nascar playoff system how it works is basically you know they start with 16 drivers at the you know 10 race to go mark and then every three races they knock four out based on the points and then it comes down to the final four or the final race and uh, there were a couple drivers who were both on the plus and negative side, who completely flipped ends after that race. It was pretty, uh, it's pretty nutty. But uh, yeah, so Martinsville is this weekend. Uh, it's the one year anniversary of, and I'm sure people might remember this clip that happened last year. It was the anniversary of 
where a guy named Ross Chastain, who was trying to get into the final four, he uh, basically did a what what's been called a video game move, and he got gassed it up and rode the wall all the way around the final turn there to uh, get in. Though can't do that this year because they've outlawed it. But uh, no, it's 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 exciting. It's really wide open. I can't really give you a, a favorite of who I think is going to win, especially now with, with, whole, with how that whole format works. You know, it always comes down to basically who does the best in the vinyl race. Um, so, you know, there, there are guys who are below the cut line who could feasibly win this weekend and get themselves in, but uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's wild. NASCAR is the longest season in sports. It starts in like February and goes all the way to November, so always something going on on a NASCAR weekend, but yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting and sad knowing that there's two races left, but again, like I said, it's a very short off season, so it won't be too long before uh, February rolls around and they're, they're back at it again. Now, take it from me. The the NFL season for me basically goes end of July till end of April. And then I essentially get about two and a half months off from, my shoot job where I don't really have time off per se, but right. it's a, it's a heck of a lot more enjoyable to be able to, Oh, I got my couple things in. Now I can just go hang out for the rest of the day and enjoy it. it I think like it goes way by way faster than you think. Um, because we have you on, I want your take on this, Sean. And we thought that it was a mistake at first that when they announced final battle being on December 15th, I, in I believe Houston because they're gonna have collision in Houston the next night. I think it's actually I think it's actually um, it's the Curtis Colwell Center, which I think is sort of in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I want to say. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, because that, that that's a building. It's it's weird. So that building is apparently actually like a high school gym, which is weird, but it's also like Texas. So I, I from what I've heard, like high schools have have a, in Texas have like a lot of kids. So mm-hmm. I guess like a 5,000 seat gymnasium isn't totally surprising, but yeah, apparently that's, that's like a high, it's a high school gym somewhere in the Dallas, in the greater Dallas area. I want to say not in Dallas itself, but somewhere mm-hmm. surrounding it. Cause I only know that because AWs, I think they ran their first show there or the first time they ran there was the like 2019. Yep. So like they've been, they've been running that venue a lot, pretty much every year. So um, but yeah, no. So obviously, like you were mentioning there, uh, they're doing the pay-per-view exclusively on honor club, uh, which is an interesting move. Uh, the last or all the pay-per-views they did last year for ring of honor and the pay-per-views they've done so far this year have been, they've been available on honor club, but also on pay-per-view and bleach report and all that. Um, and they've done, I guess for, 2022-2023 ROH standards. They've done okay on pay-per-view. Um, but this move, I think, is clearly a sign that they're trying to uh, get more people to either you know return to Honor Club or keep their subscriptions. Uh, I, you know, I really don't see any other reason why they would make the pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club. Um, and we'll see what happens with it. I mean, I haven't checked this but i'm pretty sure the way it's going to work out is that it's just going to be it's not like ufc where you subscribe to espn plus and then you have to buy the pay-per-view on top of it i think as far as i know it's just going to be you purchase your honor club subscription and then you get access to the pay-per-view which 
Um, I think that's worth giving it a shot to see how it goes and see how it impacts the Honor Club subscriptions. Um, also, probably a smart move given the fact that they're also running an AEW pay-per-view, as we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, at the end of December. So uh, maybe part of the idea, too, is that, hey, we don't want people to pay. You know, We already had them pay for two pay-per-views within this week of each other back in August, September, but those those were uh, both AEW, so maybe the thought is, you know, we'll just uh, put this on Honor Club, see how it does, and then it, it will sort of mitigate costs for people when they uh, purchase the new December pay-per-view that we'll talk about. You'll know this answer, Sean. Before the pandemic, didn't Honor Club... Uh, subscribers get like half off of a ring of honor pay-per-views. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think I'm fairly certain that was the case for a while there. Uh, I know they were doing a thing pre pandemic where they, they had the pay-per-views, but then for like the normal, I guess what I would still consider the like DVD live events, they would, there was a point where they started to stream those on honor club totally like live totally for free for those who already have the, the uh, subscription. So like I said, I think that's how this pay-per-view is going to work out as far as I know. But yeah, I think previously you honor club members got a discount on the pay-per-view and there were different tiers. Uh, I know I wrote a couple articles for voices of wrestling on it at the time, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was s- sort of how it worked at the time. So uh, there's this theory that's going around and uh, it's very intriguing that Tony Khan is almost throwing things at a wall right now, trying to see how things will work as far as pay-per-view structure, because this whole ring of honor quote unquote experiment, as you can say, is about 18 months old. And the actual television is, has only been going on since like, I think February. So we, we're still trying to figure out how things are going to be structured and, Obviously, AEW has a new TV deal. It's about to come. It feels like we've been talking about that for over six months. But the three pay-per-views in, what, like 35 days earlier this month with All In, All Out, and Wrestle Dream, and then now you have Tony Khan putting a pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club. It feels like he's trying to kind of see what works with the fan base and what doesn't, and that making sure he doesn't like exhaust the fan base because it feels like every pay-per-view is going to get about a hundred thousand buys at least. And then the rest of the buys are feel are going to be determined by a multitude of factors. One of them being the card, another being, Hey, do I have money for this? Because I've already bought like two pay-per-views in the past month. So maybe I shouldn't buy a third. Do you think this is another one of those instances? And do you think there's a realistic chance of, all ring of honor pay-per-views going strictly to honor club and trying to really spike that service for longevity rather than just getting a a $40 spike once a quarter. Um, I think it's going to depend on how well, obviously this final battle show does. And I think what's tricky about doing it now is that it, 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 with them doing this pay-per-view exclusively on honor club, I feel like it's going to kind of make it hard for them to go back and put ring of honor pay-per-views back on traditional pay-per-view because if you, especially if you get a significant spike in honor club subscriptions, 
I don't know if people, you know, if you do, I'm presuming the next pay-per-view will be the WrestleMania weekend show next year in Philadelphia. I don't know if you can go back and say, you know, we offer this pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club, but uh, now we're going to offer it on pay-per-view again. I don't know if you can do that if, if you're doing, if you, you know, it's, it's like the whole WWE issue that they ran into when they launched the WWE Network, where uh, once they started offering their pay-per-views exclusively on the WWE Network, it's like, yeah, they, they still sell pay-per-view, but you basically price the value of uh, WWE pay-per-views at nine ninety-nine. So, uh, as as far as the numbers go, you know, if, if it does well, I'm sure they're going to keep uh, keep doing the shows uh, shows exclu- exclusively on Honor Club, and then you know, if it if it doesn't really pop the sub- subscriptions, I'm not sure. I guess maybe they try to go back and then. I guess they, in theory, they could do both. They could go back to offering on pay-per-view and then, you know, do the Honor Club thing as well. Um, and then I think a big part of it, too, is just the card. And I, obviously, when you look at the champion lineup for Ring of Honor right now, um, you know, you've got a lot of big stars holding the titles right now. And I'm sure that's playing a big role in them trying to spike this Honor Club number. Because you got, you know... Eddie Kingston's going to be on the card because he's obviously the Ring of Honor champion. You got the Hung Bucks, Adam Page, and the Um Bucks as the trios champions. You got MJF as one half of the tag team champions. Uh, you know, and then you have also you know, people like Athena and Shibata, and you got some big names that are all on this poster for Final Battle. So, you know, moving some of these titles onto a lot of mainstream AEW talents, or I guess mainly AEW talents, is you know clearly a sign that they're really trying to. Uh, to boost the lineups and get as many subscriptions as possible because, you know, if, if they were having, if they were, if they were trying to get the honor club subs up and the talent wasn't an issue, then, you know, the young bucks wouldn't, and Anna page wouldn't be holding the trios titles, for example. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it does. I'm interested to see, you know, what the lineup looks like. Um, and yeah, it should be fascinating to follow what, the next step is after final battle. Yeah, I'm really interest, intrigued to see kind of how things play out. And we do have another AEW pay-per-view that we uh, briefly mentioned earlier in this conversation, and that is World's End. It will take place at the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York, and it will be on Saturday, December 30th. So it's it's a very interesting time to put a pay-per-view on and i know historically final battle has kind of been at the i believe it's been towards the latter end of december but they moved it up to the 15th and now you have this show and i'm taking a look here because i can't remember when the college football playoff is if it's going to go head to head um because if it goes head to head with the college football playoff it's going to be very interesting, and it looks like it might. Uh, no, well, the playoffs, December, the playoff semifinals are on the first. They're going to be in the next year, so we don't have to worry about that. Okay, I'm sure I'm sure it'll go up against some like bowl game or something. Or I know at that point in the year there are NFL games on Saturdays, so it might have to go against some sort of NFL game. Um, 
I think the most interesting point, well, first of all, I think the title was funny because I, as soon as I saw it, it was, I, for whatever reason, I just think of the, the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie because the name of that movie is At World's End. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a little, a little funny thing there. But I guess what's interesting, too, is that they're running it at not the, the new arena in Long Island. They're running it at, at the old arena in Long Island, the Nassau Coliseum, uh, which... You know, I at least from what I've heard in the Slack, while it's not used for much anymore since the new arena has been built, that apparently, like, it's not the dump that was apparently, you know, like for many years. Uh, but still, it's interesting. And I was checking to see, oh, is there, is there like an Islanders game that sort of conflicts? And well, at the the new arena, there are. I think there's a game, an Islanders game there the day before, and then a game the day after. But there's no, there's nothing there on the thirtieth. So I don't know if it's just like a maybe they, it's logistically it's it would have been hard for them to go from a hockey setup to a wrestling setup and then back to a hockey setup within like two days. Maybe that was part of the reason why they went with the older arena. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of interested to see how it does from an attendance standpoint. Um, I think a fascinating aspect of it is that it is in the New York City metropolitan area on new year's weekend so you know it it's going to be a very hectic weekend in that area i'm sure um and like for example like you know i live in pennsylvania new york city is not that far from me um if it was another weekend i might have considered going to the show um but the fact that it's you know new year's eve weekend it's like i that makes it like almost a non-starter for me because I don't want to be in the, uh, I don't want to be in the city for uh, all the hectic New Year's celebrations and whatnot. But uh, I'm, I am, you know, I'm wondering how it being, you know, New Year's weekend in New York City will affect any potential, maybe I guess out of town travelers who might come in for the show. I am sure there won't be that many, but I'm talking. I guess I mean more like people, you know if you're coming from like, you know, Pennsylvania, like me or New Jersey or like Connecticut or uh, Rhode Island or Massachusetts or something like that. And you want to come see a pay-per-view. I don't know if, you know, it being New Year's weekend will make it more difficult from like a travel standpoint or like getting hotels or whatever. But, uh, but no, I'm curious to see how it does. Um, like you said, there's obviously going to be the sports competition and, uh, it just continues the trend of AEW adding more pay-per-views to the calendar. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it does. And I, I like your point about using kind of the older building because the older building itself usually means less money. And one of the reasons why sure. you don't see Madison Square Garden run a lot, well, they also – the Madison Square Garden is ran like 320 days a year because obviously you have the Knicks, you have the Liberty – and you have the Rangers that play there regularly, not to mention all the concerts and shows and performances that go on there, including the occasional AEW-WWE show. Like, theoretically, I don't actually think AEW has ever ran Madison Square Garden because whenever they go to New York, they usually go uh, Long Island, um, somewhere in New Jersey, or they go up to Arthur Ashe in Queens. So it's very interesting to see that that area is getting another big AEW show, and I think that's the one element that i don't think is going to get talked about enough here sean because they have really exhausted that market out because they they had one of the first collisions in trenton 
And that was right after I, I can't remember where they were. I think they might've been up in like by the Meadowlands when they ran um, death before dishonor. Yeah. So then, they, so, yeah. So they ran, they ran death before dishonor in Trenton, New Jersey. Okay. And then the collision the next day was in, um, uh, I forget the name of the arena, but it's where the devils play. Uh, and it was actually the, it was in Newark, Newark, New Jersey. Okay. And yeah, it was actually, it was funny because that was actually the first time that I had not gone to an AEW show in Newark because all the previous times that they'd gone to Newark, I'd gone, there was, you know, I, I'd gone to the, in 2021, I went there because that was originally supposed to be in March, 2020. And then obviously got postponed and, uh, I was there for the, let's see, there was the, the hang, the second hangman Danielson match in, uh, early 2022 the first tbs show mm -hmm. and uh then i was there for full gear last year so i've i've gone to pretty much every um sh uh show in that newark venue but uh, i had to miss that collision show because it just didn't work out for me logistically it was it was the same weekend nascar was in pocono so i couldn't uh couldn't make it out there but but yeah uh, so any, yeah anytime you can go watch a race in a triangle um, I, I'm with you. And I, I don't mean that as a meme. I, I think that that track is just fascinating. I, and ever since I, I, I don't watch NASCAR anymore, but when I was younger, I watched it every single weekend. And there was just something about watching it on a triangle racetrack that was just fun to me. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a massive facility and uh, it's, it's always funny, you know, traveling there because it's about, I want to say it's a little under an hour from my house. So the drive isn't that far. And it's always funny because it's like we're driving through the Pocono Mountains. We're in the middle of the woods. And then all of a sudden you hit the traffic and then you come out to a clearing. And the track's like just in this clearing in the middle of the woods. Um, but uh, but yeah, as far as the like the New York market thing goes, um, I know that they mentioned it last night that this technically is their first pay-per-view um, in the state of New York proper. So that's kind of a interesting wrinkle to it but yes yeah, so as far as like new york city like obviously they run arthur ash stadium for grand slam and the, really their other i guess new york city area venues that they've been running have been the arena in uh newark and then the new arena they built in long island but again they're for this show they're going to the old arena the uh nassau coliseum but uh well it, sh it should be interesting to see how that card shapes up and uh yeah, I'm looking looking forward to watching a pay per view on uh, right right after Christmas, right before New Year's. I think it's going to be a real test to see if they've really um, exhausted that market or not. Because I was at one of the lowest attended AEW pay per views, and that was Full Gear 2021. Minnesota had not quite gotten all the way to the point of normalcy with everybody yet. And I think they did 10, eight at target center when you with, for a wrestling show, you could easily do 14,000. Um, and I'm wondering if they're able to clear it. Now attendance has gone up the last few weeks and we've like last week's Dy uh, dynamite and rampage had mystico in, in Houston. It was over 5,000 this week's had Okada and it was over 5,000. Wonder how much of that has to do with being mystico and Okada being booked, but it, it's still a positive sign for dynamite. And when you talk about, going into a potentially overexposed market, how much will it just being a pay-per-view show impact it? And I'm very fascinated to see how ticket sales play out because it's it's been very slow initially for AEW shows, including pay-per-views. Right. I mean, ultimately, I 
I would, as far as the tickets go, I'm far more curious and concerned about uh, the television shows as opposed to the pay-per-views. I mean, honestly, the pay-per-views aren't selling out, certainly, compared to what they were even a year ago. But I think as long as they're announced far enough in advance, uh, I think they'll ultimately get to a number that's, I would say, a solid. I mean, they're we're almost a month from full gear, and it certainly seems like they'll be able to get to ten thousand in uh, the uh, in the forum there. So, um, I mean, we'll see. I don't want to, you know, I'm not very good at predicting attendances or anything like that, but uh, I think well, they could get to a decent number. And it, it, again, you are dealing with you know New Year's weekend, um, so that could cause some maybe issues in terms of ticket sales go, but then again, maybe you'll get people who will, you know, who will buy, you know, uh, a ticket as a Christmas gift or something like that. Um, which I'm sure some people will do, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that, Oh, I definitely got to 10,000 people, um, or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure it'll do okay, or at least decent, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see when the time comes and when tickets go on sale. And, uh, and yeah, as far as the New York stuff goes, I think it just comes down to, you gotta, I mean, we saw with Grand Slam that once they promoted the hell out of it in the final week, the tickets went up to, uh, you know, a respectable number, but the fact that they had to do such a hard PR push in that last week just to get to a respectable number you know that, that certainly says a lot about what their standing is in the market currently uh, so hopefully they do some more promotion hopefully they get things in gear and uh and hopefully they do a lot of promoting for the show so that they don't have to you know scratch and claw and like go work overtime on the last minute to get the ticket sales up yeah and there's, there's no i have no problem with them trying to get the tickets up last second it's it's mainly the ticket sales leading up to them adding those discounts because hell, almost everybody adds some form of discounts to try and get more people in the building at the very end. But it, it's just worrisome that they're really ramping it up when they've only sold like 1,600 tickets. So I'm fascinated to kind of see how the ticket buying culture ends up continuing to evolve with this company because that's that's going to be really big. But right. we've... We've talked quite a bit about pay-per-views and we have an interesting one coming up in full gear. And these shows, Sean, uh, have been very interesting and there's been a lot of in, like different dichotomy discussions about them. When it talks, when you talk about the overall tone of how you feel about AEW as a promotion right now, how do you feel? Because they are giving us a product that is significantly similar yet significantly different from the product that we one grew to love with this company and to expect. Right. So obviously, you know, a lot of the, the weirdness involving, you know, MJF's storylines and all the stuff with Adam Cole and Roger Strong and, and now Tony Storm, it's, it's sort of gotten, uh, it's gotten long in the tooth. And I'm, you know, I'm someone who's not like, I watch when I sit down and watch wrestling. I watch it, you know, to just have a good time. Watch some great wrestling matches and and generally generally uh, good storylines, depending on what the promotion is. Obviously, you know, if I'm watching a place like New Japan, I'm, you know, there there are stories in New Japan, but 
I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, I'm not upset or, you know, angry about what's some of the changes that I feel like have been for the, for the worse in AEW recently with some of their quote unquote storytelling. Um, but yeah, it's more just, you know, they still give us great wrestling. They still give us cool matches, but some of the storyline stuff has left me again. I, and I'm someone who like, I try not to get very angry at things, particularly when it comes to stuff that I watch for fun. Uh, so like when I said, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That sort of is pretty accurate. Like, I'm just sort of like, I, like AW, you're kind of better than this. Like all this stuff is like very, you know, very WWE esque and very sort of cringy and corny and over the top to a, uh, to a ridiculous degree. And I, I just find it funny that people were talking about, or when reports were coming out about the whole, Adam Cole MGF thing that's like, oh, this is going to be our bloodline or whatever. And it's like, well, and, lo and looking back on it now, it's like, well, you know, the bloodline storyline, you know, while it, it had sort of, I guess, some comedic elements, and that was more, I would say that was just more down to Sami Zayn because Sami Zayn's just a natural goofball, and that's just who he is. Like, they're not, this whole, you know, Brochacho thing, it's not even like, Bloodlines, the bloodline didn't even, even have that much. It's all like all. It's mostly like just a comedy storyline, which is sort of like what what bugs me the most. It's that it's like you know you you say or people in AW as it came out months ago said, oh, this is our bloodline, but it's not even really bloodline. It's just like a a comedy storyline involving your world champion, and it's just just doesn't you know it doesn't fit the tone of the promotion at all and it's you know and as we saw last night it's like this really freaking weird dichotomy where one moment you'll have Roderick Strong and the kingdom out there you know they're starting the show doing a promo with MJF and then MJF you know is is interacting with them he kicks Roddy's wheelchair away and they go running after him and then MJF turns around and has to do like this serious this serious uh, promo on his match with Juice Robinson where he's threatening to beat him half to death. And it's like, it, it's just like the, the dichotomy and the tonal shift is just super, super weird. And, and yeah, it's just like, I obviously don't like the whole Brochacho stuff or the Tony Storm stuff, which was, which is interesting to start, but then it's gone so over the top that it's, you know, at the point of just being overly ridiculous. And yeah, it's certainly not, what I watch AEW for. Um, I still watch AEW for the good wrestling, for the some storylines that work out pretty well. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff right now that's that's not jiving with me really. So uh, I mean, I'm still gonna watch it. You know, uh, someone like me is not who AEW should be concerned about because I'm one of those people who's gonna be watching the show no matter what. Uh, but there, you know, there are certainly a lot of people who are not happy with the direction and, you know, are being more turned off by AEW based on some of the, some of the storylines that they're doing. And like, those are the people you have to worry about. Like, you know, I'll like, again, someone like me, I'm just going to watch the show no matter what, but cause I'm already, you know, I'm already pot committed to, to AEW at this point, but, uh, but yeah, it's certainly concerning. And again, you know, if the MJF and Cole storyline, you know, it, it popped quarter hours there for a little bit, but, you know, as 
for example, like the flagship guys, uh, Joe and Rich have mentioned, you know, it's not exactly moving tickets. And what's moving the tickets is the, uh, is the cool matches and bringing in people like Mystico and Okada. So, uh, you know, as far as their ticket problem goes, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, just booking more cool matches as opposed to, uh, as you know, giving us like MGF's like uh, variety hour. One last question that I want to start talking about those cool matches. Cause we had a couple of them this weekend. Do you think MJF's a little gotten to with this and the sudden shift from the massive brochacho stuff to, hey, now all of a sudden I have five guys coming after me because I'm the world champ. And now they're hot shotting a Kenny Omega MJF match, which MJF Kenny Omega is arguably the greatest uh, match that they can make in AEW, only involving AEW wrestlers right now. And it's it feels like it's being rushed on a you can argue it's a 10 day build. It's a three day build. In my opinion, do you think that he's been listening just a little bit too much to uh, the outside noise when it comes to his program and why we've seen such a massive shift? Um, well, it certainly seemed like he read the article that suit Williams did uh, the other good. Suit is smart. Yes. Suit suit. That's suit Williams. He, he knows a thing or two. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I guess the thing that, that I noticed on, especially, you know, uh, they're obviously setting up a lot of different challengers. I mean, they had Kenny Omega being set up. They had Wardlow being set up. They had Samoa Joe being set up. And then all this going on while the Jay White stuff is happening. Um, and it, it does create something interesting because it gives the idea of hey everybody's you know gunning for the world title and i know it had been talked about that this whole mgf cole thing was planned till december and part of me thinks that it may be it might have been sort of all part of the plan because you know you, you have this idea that now cole is out or maybe part of the plan since cole got injured you know and some people are still in doubt about that but uh, I guess in the current storyline, it, it works in the sense that MJF is, you know, he's on his own. He doesn't have Cole anymore. And so all these people are trying to be his friends. And, you know, he he's not really accepting them. And then meanwhile, all he's got all these different plot points coming at him from, you know, again, like Wardlow and Joe and Angle and all. Angle. Why did I say Angle? Kenny Omega. I don't know why it's the current Angle. Right. He came to mind. Um but yeah, he's got all these challengers coming his way, and I I do like it in the sense that it is creating more focus on the world champion. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, for example, the the whole segment last night where you had uh, it ended. I say I would think pretty strongly with the whole Kenny Omega coming out to front MJF stuff, but. Then right before that, you had all like the acclaim stuff, and in a segment where it felt like just everyone was reciting their catchphrases, basically. Um, and yeah, as as far as the Kenny Omega MGF goes, I apologize by sounding a little scattershot here, just uh, as far as what I'm saying. But uh, I guess my thought on the Kenny Omega MGF match is that you know they're doing it on a three day build, obviously, and when they forward first when they first did the tease last week, I was like, 
okay, they're, they're doing this tease and they announced Kenny Omega for this collision, but there's no way they're going to do this match, you know, on three days notice or whatever, because it's, it's a big match you can do on a pay-per-view. And I think the bigger issue with it is not so much that they're doing it on a collision. It's the fact that it seems like they only just realized that MGF was going to break the record and they wanted to get this Kenny match out of the way. And I feel like, like you could have subtly, you know, built to the idea that MGF was closing in on the record over a several month period. And if you had done that, at least doing that match on like the day or two before they break the record, even if it's on a television show like Collision, at least at that point you would have had more built to it than you had really. So it is kind of it just sort of feels like that they forgot about it and they were just sort of making up for lost time by setting up a quick angle to uh, set up the match. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if that answers your question. But uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a cool match, but it's disappointing that it's been done on such short notice. And it's going to be disappointing because, you know, the fact that we already know that MGF is wrestling J-Way to full gear means that, you know, the result is... And, predetermined results or a result that you know is pretty set in stone that's not a bad thing necessarily but in this case it just sort of just ruins it in the sense that you know you're going to get some you're probably going to get some weird finish like if they just be if they just had mgf be omega clean like okay that's that's fine but we're probably going to get some interference from callus and his crew but um yeah, it's 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 going to be a good match, but it's also sort of they could have saved it, or at the very least, they could have done a better job building to it. Do you think that Tony Khan would dare do the bait and switch here, where we know WWE has done this time and time again, and the one that always rings in my head is the post WrestleMania, where it was supposed to be, I think it was Kofi Kingston versus Seth Rollins, title versus title, and then they just didn't do the match after announcing it earlier in the show. It, well, I, they, they did do the match, but they had like, I think they had Sheamus and Cesaro run it and do it, do it like a no contest. And then they, then they set up a tag match. But, but yeah, the idea that you, uh, they promised them a champion versus champion match with the titles on the line. And then they didn't give you a finish. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like with this hot shot, cause it's eerily reminiscent to Goldberg Hogan where Goldberg right. Hogan was the biggest match in WCW you could make. And it's obviously different eras, different scenarios, and television ratings matter a hell of a lot more now than they used to. Um, it it feels like if there was a time to do any form of bait and switch or Kenny Omega gets his ass handed to him by the Don Callis family going into it, that this would be the time because it's – it's your biggest match and I'm fine doing it on television because if you can gain like, let's say 300,000 more viewers on a Wednesday night or a Saturday night, I think that's a massive win and it's great for your advertisers. It's great for your television partner. And honestly, it's great for you. And there's merit to doing really, really big matches on TV instead of pay-per-view these days, but how they've gotten here tells me that they might be actually willing to do one. Uh, bait and switch and my question here is not just about do you think they'd be willing to do it but do you think that they would get 
buried to oblivion for it or because this would be like genuinely like the first time they've ever done a bait and switch they could get away with it in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking "Ah, maybe i can pull a ken griffey jr rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arena club Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network um like when you're talking bait and switch are you talking about like them announcing the match and then not delivering it or just announcing the match and we get like a like a run and finish because I do think that those are two different things. Like no, I'm talking like not doing the match. Like where oh, um, Don Callis gets mega 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 heat by just beating the shit out of Omega and be like, you don't deserve a title match. Takesh to beat you, and then maybe we get like a Takesh to MJF match or or completely scrap the whole thing. Like they've never done anything like that, and it's good that they've never done anything like that. But I'm curious, because if they do something like that, would it be viewed as this huge, massive negative where you're just like baiting the fan base? Or is it something because you've never done it and you do it once that there would be an an aura of forgiveness about it and it wouldn't be viewed as such a big deal, but rather like continuing the story of Omega and Don Callis? I, I don't 
personally, I don't think they're going to do that just because it, it, it would be one thing if, you know, AEW was hot right now, and I think they would be, they'd have a better shot of getting away with something like that. But uh, I think with the position they're in right now, um, with them being per- being perceived as cold, and it, and it is true, they are, you know, they're certainly not hot. Um, I don't think something like that would go over well in late 2023 AEW. I, you know, I, I think what's probably going to happen is that they're going to have the match and then we're going to get some sort of screwy finish, whether it's, you know, Don, the Don Callis crew coming out and tossing Kenny the match or, but, it, but it's, it's also weird at the same time because MJF is, you know, is in that weird spot where he's, you know, he still acts like a heel, but he's also, he's also, you know, perceived by the crowd as a baby face. So that does add a, another weird wrinkle into it. I mean, I guess another thing that, that they could do if they wanted to do something where they can give you the title match, but work the finish in a way where they can get away with, you know, maybe not even doing interference per se, is they, they could do a 60-minute draw where, you know, MGF could break the record, he doesn't beat Kenny Omega, and yet the draw means that they can still save the match again for a different time period down the line. Sort of like, you know, I mean, we were supposed to get the Danielson Omega rematch at Wembley, but because Danielson was hurt, that didn't happen. But uh, I think that doing a 60 minute draw is an idea that they could do to um, sort of protect, to just, just sort of do the match, but then protect it for the future. But then again, I do feel like that the Don Callis family is going to get involved in some way to continue that feud with Kenny. So um, I think the 60-minute draw would be a more interesting idea. But um, but yeah, I, I if I had to like you know gun to my head, if I had to put a bet on it, I'd say that that uh, we're just going to get a match, and the Callis crew is going to get involved, and they're going to cost Kenny the win. Yeah, I think that's the likely route. But I'm I'm very intrigued by potential outs in this match because this is the biggest match that AEW can make and it's it just right. it feels wrong of how they've gone about it not that they've gone about it yeah. because I, I think we've all expected it to happen but MJF and Kenny Omega have literally never interacted until last week right yeah and, and like I said earlier if they had done a thing where you know and again this is, I guess this sort of uh shows how AEW isn't as far as their booking isn't necessarily planning ahead for a lot of these things as far ahead as they used to, uh, where they could have had, you know, MJF referencing for months, for months and months. Oh, you know, I'm so-and-so days away from breaking the record. I'm so-and-so days away from breaking the record. And and you could show, you know, you could have shown like Kenny, like, you know, maybe acknowledging it backstage, like, you know, when he's watching a promo or something, but, but no, it just again, like I said, it, it literally just seems like that they forgot the, that the record was coming up, and they decided, oh, we got we got to do this, we got to you know, rush this match on a couple days' notice to uh, just get it in uh, under the gun. So, yeah, let's uh, let's kind of shift gears here because one of the things we started talking about this whole uh, Kenny Omega MJF discussion is cool matches, and we had a cool as hell match that sold over two thousand extra tickets to the. Uh, Dynamite slash Rampage taping in Houston, Texas last week, and that was Mystico versus Rocky Romero in a traditional Lucha Rules match, best two out of three falls. Sean, what did you think of this? I thought this was phenomenal. 
and more cool shit like this on television. Yeah, exactly. I this, this is sort of the thing that I'd like to see more of from AEW that they used to do a lot of, but not as much this year. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the match. Uh, certainly seemed like, you know, if they had been wrestling in, say, Arena Mexico, it, we probably would have gotten a better version of this match. Uh, but for what it was, you know, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Really, you know, it was a really good match. Uh, seeing Mystico in the States again, especially after his uh, not-so-stellar WWE run, was uh, was cool to see sort of him getting a little bit of a bit of redemption from the whole Sin Cara stuff and uh, having a, a unique and fun match with uh, Rocky Romero, who was uh, playing his, uh, his, his more heelish character from CMLL, which was awesome to see. And, uh, and yeah, like, what else is there to say? It was just, uh, again, not, not a match that I would say would, like, blow your socks off or anything like that, but a lot of fun for a Friday night at 10 o'clock. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun at that ten o'clock. There really wasn't a whole lot else on Rampage, but I think we do have to talk about these Eddie Kingston promos. And right after Rampage, he he cut a an incredible promo on Jeff Jarrett and uh, Jay Lethal, basically calling Lethal a uh, little slime ball and going completely contradictory to the professional wrestler that he, he knew back in the Ring of Honor days, where Jay Lethal is a two time champion. And then tied into the Memphis street fight where uh, this past Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, sorry, no, it was on Collision. Yeah, I, it was on Collision, right? I watched Collision right before Dynamite, so my brain <laughs> got those. I Mandela affected that one. But it was a fantastic match. But Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, Sanjay Dutt, they all basically helped beat the living crap out of Kingston. So Kingston lost to Jeff Jarrett. Now Lethal gets a title shot, and he cut another great promo saying that he's sorry that his mom's going to cry, not because he's getting beaten up, because he know, she'll know he deserves it. Eddie Kingston's just... If you had to put somebody in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame based on pro mobility only, I think Eddie Kingston would easily be among the top five. What he's doing right now is just incredible. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I watched... Uh, in particular, the one after the collision match is like, oh, look at this. It's another fantastic Eddie Kingston promo. It's like, I feel like I've sort of become sort of numb to it in the way, but more just like, oh, wow, what a surprise. He's cut another awesome promo. Uh, and, you know, he's doing a, a very solid job in, you know, getting interest in this upcoming Jay Lethal match. Um, and then, you know, the street fight was a little annoying in the sense it's like you know i think it's very it i think it's very wwe in the sense that you know it, it feels like something wwe would do where the, like the baby face doesn't have any friends and it's like man eddie kingston's basically like a, a was it lethal j jeff jarrett sanjay karen sat i'm saying like a basically like a five-on-one situation and he's like got like nobody there to help him it's just like, and, and it would be one thing if it's like, you know, he has people come out and help him, but ultimately the heels still win. Like, that's something I'd be totally fine with, but it's more just like, you know, does, does Eddie Kingston have no friends in the locker room? But, uh, no, I mean, the street fight itself had uh, plenty of entertaining spots for sure. And 
interesting that you know they've done technically they've done two of these matches because they did one with uh, Mark Briscoe and Jeff Jarrett a couple months back. So now Jarrett in AEW is now technically undefeated in these Memphis street fights. So uh, that's something interesting they got going on there. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to the Kingston Lethal match, especially if if Lethal takes a more uh, serious approach to it. I think it could be pretty good. I'm very intrigued to see what a a matchup with Eddie Kingston and Jay Lethal in the year 2023 will look like because Lethal might be the most consistent, boring wrestler of all time <laughs> in, in, at this iteration. But he's never bad. He's just not engaging. And like I, I thought his stuff were he did the House of Truth with Truth Martini. I thought that was that might have been my favorite Jay Lethal. I I mean right. I know people are gonna go to. Uh, uh, Black Machismo when he did his uh, Randy Savage impersonation for years as as their favorite, but the House of Truth stuff was just great, and I I, I want to see Lethal get back to being more of that and less of like Jeff Jarrett's lackey, which I love Jeff Jarrett and he's he's fun to watch in today's iteration of AEW because he can just get beaten like a drum and it's just fun, but you can get a lot more out of even like a forty year old Jay Lethal than you are and i think this hopefully this could be the catalyst of something new the one thing i'll say about jay lethal at least is that you know at least that he he is a guy who is still relatively good in the ring and still has still has some charisma in him because uh, mm-hmm. when i when i was listening to you describe jay lethal it's like like the most boring wrestler in AEW without question is scorpio sky like that guy's just he is just a total jag well, it, here's the difference between Jay Lethal and Scorpio Sky. Jay Lethal's still really good in the ring. Oh, yeah. I won't say the same about Scorpio Sky. Lethal just, he's not engaging. That, that's what I mean. He's just, he's boring. Well, and I was, you, I was, but you know there's more. And that's why right. it's frustrating. And as I was say about, like, I don't think, for example, like, I don't think Scorpio Sky is bad, per se. He's just, like, I just think he's, like, an incredibly boring wrestler. Whereas, you know, Jay Lethal, I... You know, obviously, you know, I'm a Ring of Honor fan. I, you know, he was part of a lot of my Ring of Honor watching for many years. Um, and I, I, it's a little harder to enjoy Jay Lethal now only because, you know, I know that, oh, he's got the whole circus on the outside and they're going to get involved and everything like that. So from that standpoint, it's a little, you know, I'm not looking at the Jay Lethal of, you know, six or seven years ago when he was Ring of Honor world champion and basically not the face of the company, but one of the top guys in the company. Um, but you know, every time he goes out there and is in there with a good wrestler, he, I can always count on him to have a, to have a really good match. And that's been the case. I can, I think more often than not in this AEW run, but again, it all depends on what, how much the circus on the outside gets involved in this matches. And I, and they've already set up a good story where, you know, in the, in the street fight, they had Jarrett target Kingston's knee and obviously, both Jarrett and Lethal do the figure four, so I'm sure there will be a, a big story point in the match whenever they do it. Yeah, it's Eddie Kingston's on the one of the funner runs I've seen in a long time just because he's just being allowed to be an absolute wrestling dork. And that guy yeah, can just create some of the exactly. best storylines, and it, it's working really well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else on these Rampage and Collision shows that really stood out to you? Obviously, we, we're going to talk about the... Brian Danielson and Andrade match because 
they kind of build it as a dream match and it was, but it wasn't. I mean, it's not Blue Panther, but right. Like if you would have told me in the year 2015, you could have gotten La Sombra versus uh, Brian Danielson. I think everybody would have been like, yes, please. And it happened ah, probably like five years too late because uh, Andrade is just not quite what he used to be. He's gotten really, really big and bulky, but that match was fantastic. Nonetheless, I think I went four and a quarter plus on it. Right. Yeah. So if you did miss like collision or rampage, I would say, you know, Danielson versus Andrade is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's currently at an 8.02 on cage match, which is about four stars. I think that that's a fair rating for that match. Um, otherwise I say that the main event, which had big bill and Ricky Starks defending the AW world tag team titles against, uh, uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta from the BCC. That was a pretty good match that uh, did end in uh, some interference as we did have the return of the House of Black in various forms throughout the collision where you know uh, Malachi Black attacked Danielson after his match. And then a squash match for FTR ended in a no contest when uh, the rest of the House of Black came back, including Brody King, who was... Uh, has a big giant old cast on his arm and his looks to be doing the whole uh, Bob Orton deal with the cast now going forward. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. So they, they, at the end of collision, they clearly set up sort of like a, a 10 man where it's going to be like the BCC and FTR versus Ricky Stark's big bill and uh, the house of black at some point. And it's, it's really fascinating because the BCC has seems to have its tentacles and a lot of different things right now. Because they're still, you know, in a way, they're tangled with Ricky Starks and Big Bill. And they're sort of feuding with Orange Cassidy. And they've also got the House of Black now interjecting themselves into things again. So it's sort of like they've got all sorts of different things going on in all sorts of different directions. But uh, yeah, I would say those were the two best matches on Collision. Um, the street fight was more like spectacle than, you know, an actual like good match. Uh, they did continue the whole the whole Miro and CJ storyline where uh, CJ was sitting out there watching the Miro action and Dreddy match and you know, Miro won. Uh, and then I think on the Battle of the Belts show, CJ approached Andrade. So maybe they're setting up Andrade versus Miro at some point. Um, but yeah, other than that, I thought Collision was a... Was a a decent show obviously you know the, the, the attendance wasn't great in Memphis uh, as far as Rampage I, I guess really only other thread that was going on from Rampage and Collision was people talking about Sky Blue's gear <laughs> where she basically had this uh, basically like the mystery machine themed gear I think you must have you watched Collision Tyler so you probably saw it and I guess it was funny just because it's sort of they're doing this storyline where she's getting darker or more heelish, and yet she comes out in like the brightest colored gear you could possibly imagine. That's like Scooby Doo themed. So that was kind of a weird gear choice, but you know, other than that. And then, do you want to briefly touch on Battle of the Belts? Because I I watched and you you didn't. So do you want me to just touch on that briefly as well? Yeah, um, I, I did find the the mystery machine gear of sky blue. Very interesting. She's work. She's working like a snarmy heel in the match against, I, I don't even remember some, some jobber and just, it was just hilarious. Cause she was, 
that if you've ever watched Scooby-Doo, she was working like the villain. She was working like the ghost and she's wearing the hero's colors. It was very odd, but we'll, Maybe it plays into something. It was likely she just bought it, wanted to wear it, and she's just like, ah, I'm going to wear it. And Yeah, yeah. I, I know there was, I, I saw there was some discourse of, of people trying to read into it more. And I think I think it's just that she had that gear already made. And, and I would have just said, hey, you know, maybe, you know, we're doing the storyline here. Maybe, you know, wear something that's, that are wear different colors that sort of are more totally appropriate for the storyline. But, uh, but yeah, as, as far as Battle of the Belts goes, uh, Orange Cassidy retained the international title against John Silver. Um, a fine match, though I thought that their match from Full Gear 2020 was significantly better. Uh, Samoa Joe retained the T- ROH TV title against Tony Nese. So it was basically a squash. It only went like a minute. Uh, the one match that I would say is worth checking out from this show is uh, Chris Statlander versus Willow Nightingale for the TBS title. That was a, a really good match, and while Chris Statlander's title reign got off to a, a rough start, mainly because she wasn't wrestling opponents that I would say were quality, basically quality opponents, basically ever since the Jade match, her, her title reign has really picked up. Like that match was very good. I thought probably one of Jade's best AW matches. Uh, the Britt Baker match that I saw at Penn State at a collision was, was really good. Uh, the Julia Hart match at uh, Wrestle Dream was really good, and then this match was uh, with Willow was really good as well. And again, I wouldn't call any of them necessarily, you know, uh, great in the sense that I'd be putting them in my notebook, but they're not they're not far off that point. So I definitely think that Chris's title reign has been been pretty solid since since the since starting with the Jade match, and then you know where she you know uh, beat not not obviously not the one where she beat uh, Jade to win the title, but the one where Jade came back and they had the match on Rampage. But since from that point onward, I think her title reign has been very good and uh, this Willow match added to that. Yeah, uh, I might have to go back and find that uh, Willow and Statlander match because Willow has had quite the rise over the last few months ever since winning the IWGP Women's World title um, in that Uh, mini tournament. The strong title, technically, yeah. Oh, it was the strong, my bad. yeah. Yeah, it's weird because Stardom's created, or I guess Stardom slash New Japan, it's like they created these two new, well, I, I guess the IWGP women's title is more of a Stardom title, and then this one's more, they're just adding, New Japan and Stardom's like adding all these titles, it's hard to keep track of, but uh, yeah, she was obviously supposed to you know lose that match to Mercedes, but then because of the injury, yeah, she won it. But uh, yeah, I guess the only other, other note is that they did a post-match where Willow was going to shake Sky Blue, or not Sky Blue, uh, Chris Statler in his hand. And then Sky Blue came out and tried to, you know, force her not to do it, but then she did it anyway. Um, and obviously, I hope that they're not turning Willow heel. Uh, though I think the one thing that I've noticed, I think maybe some other people have noticed, is that while Sky Blue, you know, Sky Blue got sprayed by the mist from Julia Hart on television, and Willow. I guess she got sprayed, but it was like off camera because she was supposed to wrestle Julia Hart in like a collision, I think. Mm-hmm. And like they they took her off for some reason, and then they did a phantom angle where she got sprayed by the mist. I mean, just based on my interpretation, I guess the storyline that they're telling is that you know with Sky Blue wrestles, she has all that makeup on around her eyes, and she got fully sprayed by the mist. And I, I again, I guess this is where they're going is that. 
you know, Willow comes out and she has only like one of the eyes sort of like got the makeup on it from the mist. So I guess where they're going is that Willow, because she didn't get fully sprayed by the mist, that she's still sort of, you know, not fully turning dark like uh, Sky Blue. But uh, yeah, the mist stuff is always kind of strange. But uh, at least based on that little makeup detail, I'm guessing that's where they're going. But again, I pray to God that they do not turn Willow heel because that would be a very bad decision. Yeah, she's got uh, real NXT Bailey energy, and I know I'm not the only one who said that. It's it's been oh, yeah. kind of floating around the the wrestling ecosystem for a while, and she's just she's got this special aura about her. And ruining it would be a really poor decision at this point. Maybe you can turn her heel in a few years, but not right now. Um, let's talk about this Dynamite show for a minute, and. It was very interesting. You had uh, Wardlow cut a promo. Samoa Joe get in MJF's face, wanting another uh, title match. And Omega officially challenged MJF and um, got in his ear and was like, three days, bitch, after um, MJF said 13 days, bitch, over a week ago. And I thought that was really interesting. But the best part of the show was almost certainly the main event tag match with Orange Cassidy and Kazuchika Okada against Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson. And this is more of what we need to see in AEW. Just great matches and a bunch of dudes who don't normally wrestle against each other. And they just go and have a good match. Right, exactly. And, you know, when I saw that because they made the announcement on actually the battle of the belts show where orange Cassidy announced the match. And, you know, as soon as they announced that, I was like, Oh, this is going to be cool. And I knew that it was going to move tickets and it did move tickets uh, for the show in Philadelphia. And it was a pretty great main event, you know, not a, you know, a match of the year contender or anything like that, but a really strong main event. Certainly I would say the best thing on the show. And, uh, it was pretty cool seeing uh, Okada doing the Rainmaker pose and then the zoom out. And then right after that, Orange Cassidy comes in for the hook and they do the zoom out again. That was, that was a cool moment there. But, uh, and then you had some really incredible interactions between Orange Cassidy and uh, Claudio, which were, you know, pretty incredible to see uh, where I think at one point Orange like escaped out of the giant swing and then, went to do his orange punch, but then Claudio caught him in the giant swing. That was a, definitely a highlight of the match, and it sets up a international title match for next week on Dynamite, which should be incredible. I mean, those guys have been familiar with each other for a while. Obviously, you know, Claudio was in WWE for a long time, but uh, they did wrestle each other in Chikara, you know, back when Orange Cassidy was uh, obviously, you know, no secret at this point anymore. He was fire ant part of the colony and I'm sure they had plenty of uh, interactions in Jakara. And it's actually funny because, uh, obviously orange Cassidy was in Jakara, a big character as part of the colony. And, you know, Claudio also in Jakara, he was a, a mainstay there for many years. And Claudio was teaming with Brian Danielson, who he, you know, obviously they're BCC stable mates, but they, also teamed together in Chikara before, and they were even part of the, I think I'm trying to remember, it was the 2009 King of Trios tournament, I want to say, where it was uh, Brian, Claudio, and then they were teaming with Dave Taylor in that tournament. So, obviously, those guys 
Chikara connected in some way, even uh, mainly through Ring of Honor, but they were partners in Chikara. And then Okada, who, believe it or not, did spend some time in Chikara back in the 2000s. Uh, so a bit of a, you know, uh, a bunch of Chikara alumni in this one. But uh, yeah, it was a great main event. Uh, obviously had a very weird finish too, where uh, not weird with, you know, Claudio got the win to set up the title match, but where they sort were sort of selling a, a Danielson injury, which I guess the story that they're telling is that, you know, technically with, you know, even though Brian didn't pin Okada, it was Claudio pinning Orange. Technically, Brian is 2-0 against Okada, if you want to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And I guess the story they're going with is that every time Brian wrestles Okada, Okada hurts him. <laughs> it seems like that's what they're doing. Because I I saw the ending last night, and I was like, I, I didn't see what had happened. And I watched back, and it was just like, oh, he just... Okada just hit him with the Rainmaker, and then Brian started like selling the side of his face. So... Uh, yeah, I guess that's the story they're going with. Is that Brian gets hurt every time he wrestles Okada? Yeah, I, I'm not. Not as the poor worse of your choice of words here. I like that idea. Which, that, by the way, that that does feel like a very Brian Danielson idea to do. I'll just say mm-hmm. that it definitely seems like something he came up with. And uh, I, I'll give credit to um, Andrew Rick's Rich, host of Music of the Mat, and he mentioned that he thought it might be a an ode to his him getting a detached retina 15 years ago. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Playing that off, the Orange Punch and the Rainmaker back-to-back, you could, especially with the height difference between Danielson and Okada, you could easily uh, make the argument that, oh, the arm just got a little too high, hit him right in the eye, and bada bing bada boom uh, the the best part of AEW television this week far and away was the rainmaker pose and orange cassidy hug because you could tell that uh, okada was not ready for it but then he's like wait what and he's like oh yeah right best friends like it it, it was just perfect and orange cassidy thinking that he's just going for the hug was it, it's the little things that make wrestling so enjoyable and that was just so beautifully done yeah, and again, it, more cool matches, please. The AEW we like is the one that does a lot of cool matches. So just, just give us more of that, and we'll be happy. Yes, please, more cool matches. And we do have the one cool match that we talked extensively about already, which is um, MJF versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Title this Saturday on Collision. And it's going to be interesting because they're going up against you know college football they're, and they're hot-shotting a really big match. They've been floating around 500,000 viewers without the um, the presence of a WWE Premium Live event. And I'm curious to see if they'll be able to approach six or 700,000 with such a big match. And it's also Halloween weekend, which means a lot of young people in that like um, 18 to 29 demographic are going to be going out to Halloween parties, going out to bars, and celebrating in full costume. So I'm very curious to see what this match does in the ratings because it could could do a lot of different things here. Right, right. And also, I don't know if you mentioned this too, but it's also got the World Series going on. Uh, game, I think it's Game 2, but it's also... Uh, I don't know if the Rangers and the Diamondbacks are would be considered a marquee matchup for a World Series. So, you know, honestly... It's definitely not. 
Yeah, I mean, people are going to watch it because it's the World Series, but, you know, it's certainly not as big compared to if it was, like, had it been the rematch of last year with Houston and Philly. But uh, Casual fans will be will tune out far quicker, and I know casual fan is kind of a monolith in, in theory, but when you don't have a major market, and in baseball, Texas is not a major market. Um, you don't have the Dodgers, you don't have the Yankees, you don't have the Red Sox, you don't have the Cubs. Like those are your major market baseball teams that you can include the Braves in there too, because it, their presence on TBS for the better part of like three decades was such a massive influence nationally. It's just hard to see a path where this World Series does really, really good ratings. Right. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I'm sure it'll have some effect, but how much of an effect will be it'll have, you know, to be determined. So mm-hmm. we'll see how things go on Saturday. I'm really intrigued about it. And Sean, I, just, um, I think that's it for the show today. I just want to say thank you very much for coming on and joining me, kind of giving your perspective on the broad scope of AEW and kind of where things are headed. Um, let's get some plugs in for you. Where can the people follow you and what do you have going on? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at SACDOR2994. Um, you know, I'll put out my wrestling takes and my uh, racing takes and all of that sort of stuff on there. Um, if you are interested in my work, obviously you can check out the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Uh, well, not the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Well, I'm talking to you right now on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, but uh, on the website itself, um, we did talk about Ring of Honor briefly. I'm sure I'll be part of the review for that final battle show uh, when it comes around in December. Um, I'll probably, I'm sure I'll be on the uh, review of Full Gear. Uh, when I went, or, or I guess when Wrestle Dream happened back a couple weeks ago, I decided to go see that in the theater. Um, oh, nice. So I, I went to, I went to uh, my local Cinemark, which, uh, it, it's weird because for the longest time, our closest like major movie theater was in Cinemark, which which for us it's uh, about a twenty ish minute drive away. Uh, we have a closer theater now, but it's a little smaller. But uh, as far as AW goes, like that was the closest option for me to watch the pay per view, so I went to do that. And that was pretty cool. Um, but I know we were we were scrambling for people to uh, work the uh, the uh, pay per view review for the site, so I. I think I'll probably hop back on that for full gear. Uh, other podcasting stuff, uh, myself and Griffin uh, host a drafting podcast called The Draft. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Draft and Wrestlers. That's Draft, the letter N, Wrestlers. Uh, we just did an episode with uh, Rich Krejci from the flagship and uh, Lee Malone, another uh, VOW contributor and another part of the podcasting network through the uh, WCW Thunder pod, Days of Thunder. Uh, And we did a draft on 1998 U.S. wrestling. So we basically took uh, pretty much anyone who had worked a notable amount of matches from WWF, WCW, and ECW from 1998, and we did a draft. Uh, The... On the Twitter page for that podcast, again, it's Draft and Wrestlers. Uh, we have a link for the episode. I believe we're also on Spotify. And we have the poll where you can go vote for the cards. 
Um, and then I guess the only other thing wrestling related that I will plug is that I have, I'm someone speaking of WCW. I'm someone who enjoys playing uh, some extreme warfare revenge. And I have a, there's a website called be the booker.net, which is a place that has, uh, a lot of different like downloads for different like wrestling Sims aside from like EWR or including like EWR, TWE and all that sort of, or TEW, I should say, man, I can't talk today. Uh, <laughs> EWR, TEW, all that sort of thing. All sorts of other wrestling simulators. You can get like downloads and links for that, but they also have a form. And on that forum, I post basically just recaps of the WCW game I'm playing right now. Uh, so if you're curious, if you just go to the forum and I'm just double checking it now, uh, the page is called, uh, or if you look up the, uh, the thread, it's called An Alternate History of WCW, 1998 and Beyond. Uh, and currently right now, uh, in my, my form uh, diary thread, I'm in like March of 2002. Uh, and the game itself, I'm in like July 2002. Um, and I'm just trying to play more of the game just so I could get more further ahead so that when I post stuff, I'm not posting it at the same time while I'm doing the game. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a fun journey. It's, it's sort of a thing where I'm like, I play it for a while and I take a break, play it for a while, take a break, which I feel like happens for all sorts of games that people play. But, uh, but yeah, if you're into uh, EWR stuff or any like booking sim related stuff, I have that on there and you can see how I'm doing and everything like that. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of plugs, but uh, there you go. Well, Sean, and thank you very much. And I, I will say, I listened to the last episode of the draft, and I thought it was a lot of fun, especially how Griffin booked his card. Um, getting sniped <laughs> for a Dick Toga right away was hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, and we will be back next week with another special guest. As Fred is ditching me for two weeks because he hates me, I guess. So, nah, he's just busy <laughs> with this shoot job. Um, like, comment, subscribe, and don't forget, if you are on Google Podcasts, um, everything transitioned over to YouTube, and we are very easy to find. Uh, go to the Voice of Wrestling YouTube page, and we are right there, ready to rock and roll. Thank you very much, and take it easy. Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.